This is a Billionaires in Boxes production. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia, the Digital Business Connector. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, uh, Cheryl Brazier. How are you doing, Cheryl? I'm doing great. Thank you, Phil. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for giving up your time. And uh, you're, I know it's a very familiar accent, but you're actually on the other side of the pond to me, aren't you? I am. I'm based in Redondo Beach, California. Very nice. How long have you been over in California? You know, I just worked it out the other day. Um, it was 22 years on November 1st. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I came for two or three and never left. Right. Well, yeah, so you obviously fell in love with the place. I imagine it's changed a lot over that time period, though. I mean, like two over two decades, there must have been some serious change in the area. It, You know, it has changed, and um, L.A. has got busier and busier the whole time uh, and, and more expensive as well. Um, yep. More people, you know, a lot more of the technology companies moving down to the Silicon Beach area. Um, but it's still a great place to call home. Awesome. No, it's really, really cool. Where are you from originally? Where Where is home in the UK? I was born in Ketton in Rutland. So the smallest county in England. But my father was Royal Air Force, so um, zigzagged up and down the country. Spent a lot of time in kind of Hertfordshire, Berkshire area. And I was living in London, actually in Shepherd's Bush, before I moved out here. Okay, so you're a military child. That explains why you're so au fait with traveling. <laughs> yeah, I think it gave me itchy feet and that sense of wanderlust that has never left me, to be honest. Well, it also explains the sector that you've worked in for so long. So for our, for our audience who haven't come across you before, you know, do you want to just kind of give us a, a brief overview of who you are and, and what it is that you do? Absolutely. So I've, I've been in the hospitality industry. I trained in hotel uh, catering and institutional management and I've been in the hotel t- industry for over 20, 25 years, I suppose. Um, And I own a company called Anchor Collection, which is a boutique representation company. And I represent um, high-end independent hotels, venues, and what are called destination management companies. So um, that means I I do the sales for them in the US. So people like iconic luxury hotels in UK and ETC venues that don't have a permanent sales force over here, I actually act as their sales representative to try and get them more group meeting and incentive business into their properties. That's very cool. I like that. And uh, listen, I mean, let's not shy away from it. It must be an interesting time for that industry at the moment. It's a very interesting and also challenging time. Uh, Obviously, the meetings and events market, to be honest, is on its knees at the moment. Um, But there's a lot of creativity that's coming out of that. There's a lot of cooperation and collaboration that comes out at times like this. But we're all eagerly waiting the time that we can get back to international travel and hosting groups and hosting meetings um, around the world again. That's for sure. Yeah, so certainly uh, a very interesting time for your industry at the moment then. You know, it it certainly is. Um, It's, like I say, our our industry is um, on its knees. Um, But there is a lot of collaboration. Um, There's a lot of creativity 
um, that comes out of the tough times. And it's great to see um, our industry on the event production side pivoting into the hybrid events and the virtual events. And it's something that a lot of my friends and colleagues in the industry have had to get up to speed with extremely quickly, but have been doing an amazing job. So I think everybody's ready to, and um, really looking forward to getting back to face-to-face and real life, but only when it's safe to do so. No. Definitely. Well, look, I wanted to touch on those points, actually, and I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into this much deeper as we go through the through the podcast. But I've been curious as to the, the sort of creativity and the collaborations that have been happening within the industry. Um, a lot of my tr- um, clients within tourism and travel in particular have been really kind of having to adapt and think outside the box. And I know when we first spoke, you you kind of had some similar stories with with your clients who'd sort of found new and innovative ways of doing things. Are you are you at liberty to share some of those things? Are you is that okay? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the clients I work with um, on our partners is um, ETC Venues, which obviously have fifteen venues in London and Birmingham and Manchester. And because um, they're, you know, in UK now, I think it's still limited to thirty people maximum in for an event. But they've now partnered with a company called Glissa and are getting involved very much in the hybrid meeting. So they're using their meeting space for as a recording studio at the end of the day. So you know, you've got a great setup there. You can bring in the speakers that you need for an event. You can bring in a small, maybe the management team. Um, so you can have it set up and really using it more as a production studio than as meeting space. But, it, but then it, it steps things up from just being a Zoom call. Um, you can add a, a higher level of professional production. Um, and that's, I mean, you can do that. You can scale that up as much as you need to, but at least you can add the professionalism into your company um, virtual meeting or hybrid meeting rather than, like I say, just being a Zoom call. So um, there's a lot of that taking place. And I think the a lot of the hotels and venues have pivoted that, that really quickly. That's good. I mean, I, I'm curious, what have they done by way of sort of, uh, charging for those events because obviously it's a it's a very different realm you're now talking about, isn't it? There, there are pros and cons to both. I mean, obviously, you you pay for the physical space and the location that you that you rent and that you utilize for these events, um, but at the same time, you also charge money for the tickets based on how many people you can fit into the auditorium or how many people you can fit into that one exhibition hall. You know, with that going digital, actually, there's now a, an opportunity to reach far more people so has that had much of an impact on on how your clients have been kind of pricing this model or have they had to design something completely from scratch what's been the thought behind it i mean it's obviously the revenue you're going to get from something like that is nowhere they're the same as actually holding the meeting live because you're not getting the food and beverage revenue quite the same but it's more of a case of partnering with like i say with somebody like glissa um so their revenue is really coming more through the audio visual um, production revenue more than anything, but you you know rather than having a venue empty, at least you're keeping staff employed and you're keeping the venue in use. Um, so and you know I, I think if that's a case um, for a lot of the venues now, it's like whatever they can be used for um, or whatever skills you can use that can be done online now. I mean I I used to represent Pacific World, the global destination management company, and um, I had to request for can somebody do a virtual tea tasting for us. Um, and we got the people based in Sri Lanka to do a virtual tea tasting. It's not something they would normally do, but 
you know, that, that worked. So like I say, the creativity of what the skills you've got and how it can now be utilized in the virtual world, I think is a really interesting point. And, and as you mentioned, that, that actually touches on both points, doesn't it? The creativity and the collaboration, because it's, it is partnering with somebody that's maybe a little bit, a little bit left field, a little bit uh, outside of the box thinking. Um, but as you said, it's it's so important, even just to keep some of the basic bills paid, so that you can afford to keep your your employees on at this time. Because the last thing you want, a, is to be letting people go that you've that you've you know that you care for, that are good for your business, that you sort of be around the bush here, that you've invested money into training and 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 developing into your business. Um, but at the same time, nobody wants the PR that comes with we've just had to let everybody go from our our resort. No, exactly. And I think one of the um, the biggest concerns in our industry at the moment is going to be keeping the level of professional and uh, professionalism and skill um, with the people in the industry and actually trying to keep them. Um, because at a time when there are obviously furloughs and layoffs um, within the hotel and events industry, people are looking to go into other industries. And it is a concern that we can keep that skill, the skilled people that offer the amazing level of service that we can keep them within our industry and they, they don't go elsewhere. So whatever we can do to keep those people employed at the moment, I think is the is a key thing. Well, it's actually, I hadn't even thought of that, but I've seen that firsthand um, in other industries as well. So I think back to um, the the last two global recessions and you know, I was working primarily in real estate and also in talent at that point and recruitment agencies and uh you know, real estate brokers, estate agencies all really had the same problem, which is that they were all needing to tighten their belt a little bit because they weren't making the same money that they had been during the heyday. Um, but they also had a group of people who were sort of relatively new to the business at that point. I'd say less than, let's say five years in. So you got some good experience, but they were less than five years experience in, into the into the job. So anyway, let's say between two and five years. So these people, you'd invested money in training them. They now knew the industry, but they they hadn't had enough of the heyday to want to stick around during these low times. So it's very easy to lose them to other industries during that time. But what ended up happening as a direct result was, fast forward five to ten years later, there's now a skill gap at middle management within both of those two industries because the people who would now be middle management were the ones who left during the last recession. And you're in this dilemma of do you try and take somebody from the top table and, and have them have more responsibilities at mid-management or do you try and rush somebody through? Um, and invariably what's happened is middle management within those two professions, they're worth their weight in gold. You can just take them from one company and walk them straight into another. So it sounds awful, but you'll have sort of bang average managers who will have 10 to 12 job offers on the table without question, simply because there aren't enough of them in the industry. So I think it's a valid fear um, from the hospitality and, and tourism industry sort of looking at this to say, if people walk during this time, that experience and that knowledge and actually the future progression of their career also walks out with them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of ways of looking at it is that the people that are um, 
the stalwarts in our industry that are like, no, this is what I do. I'm a hotelier. I'm a hospitality person. That yes. you know, it's what we love and what we do. Um, are going to be extremely well skilled because there's so many courses and certifications that have come up that people are taking the time to educate themselves at the moment. So whether it's a certification in virtual events or they're doing something in you know COVID preparedness or there's there's so many different certifications that the ones that are going to stick around are going to be very well educated. And very well certified in a lot of different things and probably more varied in their certifications than they were before. Um, but there are a number of people that are leaving um, to go to one of the popular ones is um, senior living. So the senior living um, industry is going to benefit from the hospitality training that a lot of people have had. So um, I think there's going to be some great hospitality levels of service coming up in some of the senior living places. Well, I think that could be good. Great I think, for them. <laughs> I was going to say, I think to them, my grandparents were in silver um, uh, senior living complexes and uh, hospitality training was not something that was high on the agenda, I don't think. Well, um, no, but that's going to change now, right? <laughs> so because that's what I mean. So having so many people who are actually at the top of their game with hospitality is uh, could, be, could be great for that sector. Not so great for hospitality, of course. It, not so great for hospitality, no. Um, but it's, you know, the, the good thing is um, there's often a lot of people that can come in at an entry level and be trained up relatively quickly. Um, and, and, I mean, people have come in as, you know, they came in as maybe the bellman or um, uh, room attendant, whatever they were, and have worked their way up to the president of some of the hotel companies. So people that are long, in it for the long haul. So you know, there's still a lot of people coming out of college um, that you can you can go into this industry without a college degree. Um, you know, obviously it's preferential, but you don't have to. So it is an industry that you can, if you've got the passion, you've got the personality that you can come into and work your way up. So, but there'll have to be a lot of retraining that's done um, because we're not going to be able to hold on to all the skilled people that we've had previously in the industry. I suspect there's going to be a lot of paying it forward then based on what you're saying. You know, so a lot of these lifers, for example, who, you know, they, this is what they do. They are not going to leave this industry no matter what. Because let's be honest, it will come back. It will bounce back. It's just going through a difficult period right now, as lots of industries are. Um, but it's very easy during times like this to be very doom and gloom and just kind of see, you know, the, the negative aspect right now. But, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn and all that. So, um it, it, there will be a situation where however changed the industry is it will come back it will bounce back but as you mentioned a lot of those people are, are upskilling at this time and they're doing courses to make sure that they are better at, at what they do and at their their profession i think it's a lot of responsibility is going to fall onto the shoulders of those people to be lending that hand, helping hand even more than usual to the new people coming through that that may not necessarily have that experience Yes, definitely. And I, I, but I think that it's an industry that has always done that, um, that we've always mentored um, and helped people come through and, and love seeing the new fresh faces come into the industry and we want them to succeed. So I, I belong to SITE, the Society of Incentive Travel Executives, and the um, they've always had a Young Leaders Program and I've actually mentored previously within the Young Leaders Program Um and it's, it's great. I mean, we want that to happen. So, yes, there will be more of an onus, but I think it's something that those of us that have been in the industry for a long period of time relish and enjoy. Mm. We were also talking during our, our initial call before the podcast about how actually whilst sort of inner city hotels have been really kind of struggling during this period, there have actually been 
other types of hotels and resorts that have actually almost benefited from this experience, hasn't there? Absolutely. Um, the, the city centre hotels are obviously, it, it's a struggle because there's not the meetings going on, the big conventions, the business travel. But then one of the one of my clients is iconic luxury hotels with places like Clifton and Chewton Glen that um, since they reopened in, in July, unfortunately closed again a couple of days ago, um, but they've been extremely busy because obviously, particularly with the British audience that love to travel, but haven't really been able to go anywhere when you've got these properties that have amazing grounds and amazing spas they've used them for their staycations and stayed within UK. So they've been extremely busy. And it's the same in in, um, in the US. Places like some of the resorts in California, Huntington Beach, Santa Barbara have been very busy. And also places like Colorado, because if you've been in lockdown in a city, you want to get out into nature, into the green mountains, the hills. So they've been very busy. Um, so there's some that, are, that have benefited. And I think when you look at, you know, a full forecast for the hotels for next year, we're looking at, I think, 45% occupancy. That's going to be very skewed, I think, still towards the resorts doing well and the city centres not doing as well. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I can I can absolutely relate to the whole wanting to get away but can't get away, so doing something more local. Um, yep. This is the time of year, as any of my listeners who've been listening to me for a while will know, um, I'm usually in South Africa at this time of year. Um, I don't. I don't enjoy winter. That's why I moved to California. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a good good shout. Um, so I, I'm somebody who likes to follow the sun. So at this time of year, when it starts to get cold here in the UK, I, I head down to South Africa. In fact, we're supposed to be recording our TV series down there, which is a whole nother palaver. But um, I've been very patiently waiting for uh, South Africa to remove the UK from its banned travel list because of uh, how well or not, as the case may be. We've handled the the coronavirus crisis over here in the UK. Um, But actually, we're recording this the day after we've just gone back into our second national lockdown. So I think we're going to remain on that list uh, a wee while longer just yet. Uh, I mean, it's it's sad to see how badly it's been mismanaged, um, says she sitting in the US that has done an equally bad job managing it, to be honest. And well, do you know, this is where our special relationship... I was going to say, this is where our special relationship as two countries probably isn't so great because we're looking at each other for reassurance and we're both just <laughs> handling it just as badly. Um, we are, we are. It's, I, not, it's not good. I have a number of own, uh, friends and clients uh, over in New Zealand. And in fact, the number in Australia as well. But Australia have dealt with it well in certain parts of the country, whereas there are other parts that they've they've really had some some sticky situations. That I think they're getting it under control now. But again, they're doing better than we are. Um, whereas New Zealand, really, you know, everybody should be following that model. Um, I mean, their prime minister is she's absolutely fantastic. She's amazing. Uh, there aren't many politicians that I'd say that about, but she is certainly somebody that I think is, uh, I think she's the envy of the world, isn't she? Everybody would love her to be in charge. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I one of my favorite places, I've been down there five or six times and I love it. And actually, you? Yeah, I used to represent Millennium Hotels, um, be their global salesperson for the West Coast. So I was down there uh, a lot. And it's, like I say, one of my favorite places. And interestingly, one of my good friends, who was from New Zealand was living very close to me here and we've been friends for a number of years has just packed up and moved her and her family back to New Zealand for the next couple of years. Oh, wow. Really? With her 
Yeah, because her two boys couldn't go to school, couldn't do any of the sports, and she said at least there they can have a normal life. That's true. Um, yeah, that is they, true. I mean, they're they're back to normal now. Like they yeah, are. Yeah, they they really are. I mean, they you know they they have stadiums full again. Um, yes, watching the All Black stadiums with envy, being able to go oh, to the game. <laughs> tell me about it. I thought, well, I actually had the same. Um, was it last week? I think uh, uh, the Wallabies played the All Blacks, and it was in it was in Sydney. And they had like two thirds of the stadium full. And the reason it was two thirds was because Australia haven't haven't finally sorted it out yet. You know, they're they're still working through this process to fix it. But I'm thinking we're miles off that. Like yes. we we are so far away from having people in stadiums. It's not even funny. Like it's it's yeah, night and day in terms of how it's been handled. And I remember. Um, uh, one of my clients saying to me, when we entered into our second lockdown, it was f- for elimination. He said, so the first lockdown was to contain the virus. The second lockdown was to eliminate it entire- entirely. And now we've gone back to normal. And I'm going, yeah, well, we're almost a year now and we're heading into our second lockdown um, to try and control the thing again. Not for elimination purposes, just because it's soaring again. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very varied over here, depending on the state that you're in. And I know during the um, the baseball playoffs, they did have people in stadiums, but they played it in Texas. So they're open, but California, we still don't, you still can't eat inside in a restaurant and no bars open since March. Um, and the, the public schools are not open. So it's, it depends on the state. And, but California has done a reasonable job of com- of controlling it compared to some other places. But then when you've got such a huge population, you can't let it get out of control. No, that's also very true. Well, actually, do you know what? This is part of the problem that's happening here in the UK at the moment is that our rules don't make a great deal of sense. At least some <laughs> of the rules that you've just said make sense. Um, so, for example, we were still allowed in restaurants to eat. Uh, but you'd have to wear your mask to go to the table, but then take your mask off when you got to the table. So it led to people jokingly saying, right, so coronavirus only hits you if you're over a meter tall. If you sit down, you can't catch coronavirus. <laughs> right. um, and it was the same thing with pubs. It was like all the pubs had to close at 10 p.m. And it was like because before 10 p.m., you know, coronavirus is going to respect that this is your drinking time. Um, and I'm not, you can't catch it, but if you stay out past 10, you know, it's fair game at that point. Um, but I mean, even at the moment we've gone back into this national lockdown, but schools and universities are still in attendance. Um, and, and that has caused palaver nonstop because actually many of the cities up North in particular, Liverpool, Manchester, uh, uh, two that comes to mind straight away, both saw significant increases in the number of cases once the university students came back. That's the same here. The, the cities that have got a higher university population are the ones that are having more problems. Whereas in California, well, not all of California, but in LA County, um, the schools have not been open since March. Oh, wow. See, like, how do you even handle that as a situation <laughs> like that? Yeah, I mean, I'm thankful I don't have kids that I had to homeschool, but um, there's a lot of homeschooling and Zoom calling going on. But I mean, that's LA County, the LA USD area. I mean, some of the smaller private schools are open and they are open in different counties, but this one, they're not. Um, But it's interesting with, I remember with the English, um, with the rules in England, something like you couldn't see your family at home, but you could go to the pub to see them. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was one of the rules at one point. It was like you weren't allowed two household bubbles weren't allowed to meet inside a residence, but you could meet inside a pub. 
which is very strange to comprehend the well, reasoning behind that. There are some very funny things happening as well at the moment. I mean, I know I shouldn't laugh, especially as somebody who who actually had COVID early in the year and is still recovering from from long COVID and post-viral fatigue and all that kind of stuff. So listen, I am not one of these people that believes that COVID is a hoax. That said, when something is funny, it's funny. Um, and I remember reading this story the other day, and it was about a guy who um, he was really hacked off, basically, that he wasn't going to be able to see his friends and family. And it's coming up for that festive time of year when you really want to spend time with them. And um, he decided to register a limited company and gave all of his friends and family zero hour contracts so that they could meet at his house for work meetings. <laughs> Because they can't touch him for that because offices are allowed in. So he's right. like, well, they all work for me, so they're allowed here. And I remember seeing it on, I think it was on Facebook or Twitter, and it was like uh, 20 members of my family now have zero-hour contracts and will be attending uh, my house regularly for meetings. And then they just did hashtag checkmate. And I just thought that was really funny. It was <laughs> it was just like the government have set these rules and it's like, well, I've instantly found a way around them. So. I saw one that was um, to do with Thanksgiving because obviously they're trying to lo- limit the number of family members getting together for Thanksgiving. Um, you could have so many people for a funeral. So somebody said, okay, I'm going to have a funeral for the turkey on, on Thanksgiving. Aye, that's good. <laughs> Suddenly, everybody's grateful they have someone in their family that burns the turkey. (laughs) Yeah. So there's always going to be a way around it, but um, sometimes the safer at home is the the best course to take. And I've I've been pretty cautious about it, to be honest. I I don't want to get it. Yeah, no, well, I don't want to get it again because I found out that you you could get it twice and that that really freaked me out because I've not even really dealt with it properly the first time. I mean, I'm, I'm... I'm finally, finally getting back to to being able to 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 do some normal work and things. But you know, I have to be honest. Like even things like a walk to the supermarket to pick up some stuff. Like that used to be a normal part of my daily life. Whereas now I must do it once a week, or I'm wiped out. Like I'll need a couple of days to recover. So wow. it's it, it's a horrific illness. Like it's, I mean, I didn't actually suffer all that badly with it during the sort of infection period it was the recovery period afterwards that's really taken out of me. I mean, without trying to go sort of too deep into this, like I've ended up in hospital twice with a suspected heart attack and it was, it was by the symptoms that were being caused by COVID, um, you know, infections in the muscles in between my ribs, which was causing them to become inflamed. And then they'd spasm and it'd feel like my chest was compressing. It was horrible, horrible, yeah. horrible. And um, I think the concern over here as well is that the healthcare system and how they treat you if you've got a pre-existing condition. And is right. COVID now going to be treated as a pre-existing condition because of the long-term effects of it? So, I don't know. It's all speculation at the moment, but it's, it's difficult, it's, isn't it? It's, so, it's sad to hear that, you know, that you're still going through it after all this period of time. Mm, thank you. No, but you know what? I... I I'm a relatively positive person. I've been saying this all the way through, which is if I if I focus on how much different I feel now than before I fell sick, um, I'll be miserable. I'll get really down. Whereas if I focus on how much better I feel this month than I did last month, okay, yes, it may have taken me five or six months to get to this point, but I am improving. Um, I yeah. am I am getting better. I am heading in the right direction, and as long as that continues. Then, then I'll be, I'll be great. And I guess I'm really fortunate as well. And I don't forget that, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody that's having to go out and work in an office or I'm concerned about losing my job or, you know, I, 
I work for myself and have done for very many years and I have a great team of people around me and I have some really understanding clients. So if there has ever needed to be a day, it's happened very scarcely, but if there has ever needed to be a day that I've just needed to message people and say, can we please just push this back a day? Cause I'm having a really bad day today. Nobody has ever kind of kicked off. Everyone's always just been like 100%. Listen, you health comes first and it's, it's all fine. And I'm, I'm really blessed for that. I think one of the, hopefully the positive things that comes out of this is people will hopefully realize how important their health is and, you know, the the measures they can take to boost their immune system and improve their their long-term health. Yeah, correct. I I think, well, I think you're right. I really do think you're right. I mean, um, somebody shared a post the other day i'm trying to i want to do it justice by getting it right it was a it was a nice quote and it said 2020 was supposed to be the year that i got everything i wanted instead it turned out to be the year that i realized i already had everything i needed right yeah and i was like i I really like that because it it did didn't it it made us really kind of think about our family much more and how many people have decided that actually they really hate that career that they work in right now and they have done for a while and if there's ever going to be a time to retrain and do something new, it's going to be a time that the entire globe is locked down and, and, and having to take a break and take, take a rest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can only imagine this period has been really good for carbon emissions. Um, well, exactly. I mean, there was something earlier on, I think once we we're three months in of, you know, the benefit of the, of, of not having the commute in LA with all the smog and, you know, how clear our skies were at one stage, you know, and areas of the ocean that haven't had the same pollution because they had, didn't have the same traffic going through it. So I'm a big person that's passionate about sustainability and about ocean health. So um, I think it's like, I always say it's mother nature putting us on a pause and a reset. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, could I couldn't have imagined a scenario where we'd have all, voluntarily done this um it needed something like this and actually there are a lot of positives that can come out of this you know i deal with a lot of um large corporates who are now questioning whether or not they they should really be making people travel to an office to go and work or whether actually Mm -hmm. it's going to be better for them to work from home and and there's there's more conversations than ever around um employee mental health um, and mental health awareness and again like that's something that really needed to happen but for so long it wasn't even a consideration and and now it's had to be and look it's it's awful that it took something so drastic to to make that happen but if that's the outcome then that's a phenomenal outcome yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, you know, particularly in, when you work in the travel industry, we've all been traveling like, you no, know, we're crazy busy and traveling all the time. And now I think um, we found alternative ways to do things and reevaluate a lot of things. It's like, well, do I need to do that again? And do I want to put myself in that situation again where um, we're on the road, you know, constantly um or is there a a healthier way uh more sustainable way to do some of these things yes we do want meetings and events to return and there isn't a replacement for doing things face to face and standing at the bar with a glass of wine chatting with clients you know and people we've worked with for years is always going to be a joy um but i don't think there needs to be the frenetic pace that we were at before no i think I think it's going to be land somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Because there was still a lot of people in the industry, in every industry, actually, not just hospitality and travel, but it was almost a business gets done face to face. 
mm-hmm. and and you, you'd almost I mean I'm sure you've had it you travel to something a long way to go to a meeting and the meeting could have been an email like there was there was no need right. for you to be there at all uh, it was just the way that that's the way business is done whereas now you know it's a, it's the same conversation with um, uh, business real estate you know it, as in office complexes and the likes you know people are saying we're probably going to go to a hybrid way of working which is a we will have a centralized office for training and meetings but you'll only be required to come in for that training or meeting you know once a fortnight or maybe once a week it's certainly not going to be that every day nine to five you've got to be at this desk or you're not working um I think there is going to be a change. And, and just going back to something you said a few minutes ago about the schools, it's really interesting because you, you hear a lot of people talking about the parenting and homeschooling and, and what a challenge that's been. Um, but I was actually speaking, uh, I was keynote speaking at an event for educators about a week or so ago, weeks, 10 days ago. And it had like hundreds of teachers from all over the world and university level, high school level, college level, even sort of down to elementary and primary school level. And, I was specifically doing a talk on how to improve their digital presentation skills. Uh, And the reason for that is that the teachers have really struggled with what to do from an education standpoint because you can't read the – you don't have the same emotional intelligence. You can't Mm -hmm. read what your students are doing. You – in many ways, you're now competing with all of the other distractions that are out there digitally to take their attention away. Because in class, you can see if someone's sat on their cell phone messing about in the class or texting somebody. So they're not going to do it or they're going to lose their phone. But at home, when you can't even see them on the screen, they're going to be sat there texting away. Your screen's going to be minimized while they're playing Fortnite in the background. <laughs> you know, you, you are going to have to now compete for their attention and that was a that sparked a really interesting conversation especially amongst university lecturers with well they're paying to be here so why should i have to compete for their attention you know they've paid to attend so surely the onus is on them to actually study uh, and I, by the end of it i had them actually realizing it was quite the opposite which is you know there are i don't know if you've watched social dilemma for example but i there have are, watched social dilemma yes right so on that note then there are there's you know, like a million a billion dollar billion dollar industries who are designed to try and capture the psychology of, of these people and take their attention away from whatever it is they're doing and put it on their phone and to not acknowledge that that exists whilst trying to educate them is really foolish. Um, so I actually talked about, uh, again, a bit of a hybrid model there. Is why don't you try and get them to get their phones involved? You know they're on them. So, you know, have them Googling things or have them say, you know, who can be the first person to come back to me with the answer to this? And, you know, check out on Google and see if you can find who said this quote. Um, you know, we even had it turning into a game sort of saying, you know, hide Easter eggs, uh, not physical Easter eggs, but like gamified Easter eggs around things like a little symbol in the back of your uh, uh, your presentation or add words in there or get to the end of a presentation and say, there were four song title lyrics hidden amongst my work. Who can be the first person to find it? Um, you know, just something that's keeping them engaged and keeping them sort of on track, I guess. I mean, there was, a, there was also a media... Um, a media lecturer who I, I really loved his work actually he does a lot with film studies and he was saying that he would constantly be changing his background on his zoom to some really obscure set from a movie to see who could figure out what what movie it was from oh that's a fun one I thought it was cool like really yeah. really awesome but just cool. things that keep people entertained and on the hook and and you know going back to that documentary movie social dilemma 
if you don't realize that you're in a battle for attention, you're always going to lose. Right. And, and it, it's not just, I think, with educators and, and um, students. It's the same with anybody that's doing um, a virtual event that you've got to engage your audience. And I think one of the, the big things that's come of this is you can't take a three-day conference and put it onto a virtual platform because you, you're not going to have the attention span and you're not going to have the engagement. So how do you keep people engaged? And talking about using phones, I've done a, a couple where they've actually had the polling um, on the phone. So they're asking questions and then you're polling on your phone and then you're getting the results up live. Or you're doing a... Um, a trivia quiz, but you're using your phone to respond to some of the, the answers. But it is a big thing. And I think um, there's a lot of companies that have sent out kind of a pre-conference box with stuff in. And whether you've got, you know, your baseball cap or your water bottle or the snacks from the from some destination, but just to try and get that other element into just sitting looking at a screen to make it more tactile as well. Um, but enge engagement is a, a big issue. And I think when we all first went into lockdown, we were very keen to sign up for every webinar that was going because we wanted something to do. Um, and then everybody got to that, okay, I'm over Zoom. Yeah, I've had <laughs> I've enough of Zoom, Zoom now. <laughs> I've got Zoom fatigue, and now I'm going to be more selective as to what I sign up for. So then the ones that you sign up for have got to be really good. Um, so then there's a lot of emphasis on the presenter um, and the content to not necessarily be professional, but be engaging. Um, so it's how do you make that content more engaging and to keep your audience and want them to sign up for the next one that you do? Mm. I, do you know what? I found um, when doing a lot of these virtual events that it's been better. How do I explain this really clearly? It's been better when I've been able to have like a an interview style discussion like this, for example. There's two mm -hmm. of us and we'd be on like a virtual stage having this conversation together. I find that far easier than what some of them have done, which has just kind of been, okay, you would usually be alone on stage talking through your presentation with the audience sat there. So it's no different to doing that digitally. And it's like, well, actually, it's really different doing that digitally because I can't see the audience. I can't hear if they're laughing at my jokes. I can't hear if they're nodding. I can't see if they're nodding away in agreement. Right. Um, I can't hear if there's muttering going on whenever I've said a certain point or a question. So I know that I need to kind of go into that in a bit more detail. Um, there's none of that. There is no emotional intelligence with that. So you're absolutely right. You know, very much in the same sort of school of thought as an educator speaking to their class and being able to read their reactions as a speaker, you're struggling to do that as well. And, you know, I, I did one the other week and it was like a 20, 25, 30 minute presentation and I couldn't see anybody. It was just me talking to the camera. In fact, it was only when the comments started coming in that I actually realized there was anybody still listening. It could just be me in a room alone talking to myself. And that's what I think the late night show hosts have said is the ones that are now doing it, like the late show, you know, um, Daily Show with Trevor Noah, that they're so used to the audience laughter and engagement that kind of feeds them during the show. Yeah. And, and they're not getting any of that. They're just talking to a screen at the end of the day. Um, it must be very difficult. But there's some that have, I think, have done it very well. There's a company uh, called Hauk Documoso that is kind of a very creative company. And they've done a lot of live stream. They call it a familiarization trip, fam from afar. So they've live streamed from, they've been on top of a map 
mountain in Argentina. They've been on cool. kayaking in Norway and they have various people in different places, but then the hosts are kind of giving them feedback in terms of, oh my God, that's great. What a great destination. And it's just, yeah. it's very engaging. They're very interesting. It's very creative. It's, it can be raw. I don't, th I think one of the things is when it's like that and it is a little raw, sometimes it's more engaging than when it's so polished and professional, you're kind of switch off a bit. Oh, well, listen, this is why I love podcasting. So as you know, I do uh, radio and, and TV as well. And so I do radio, TV and podcasting. And podcasting will always be my favorite form of media because it is so authentic. It's, right. You know, I describe podcasting as the two of us are sitting like around a small table together, having a beer, having a coffee and a conversation. And the third chair at the table is the audience. Mm -hmm. They're sat listening in, getting whatever they want from this conversation. They can drift off what they want to and go get a cup of tea, go get another drink at the bar uh, and then come back and carry on listening. And, and that's why this is so authentic. And I think you're right. I think that's why it works so well, because people are sick of the overly polished, airbrushed, you know, everything sounds so scripted and it also doesn't do a great deal for mental health either whilst we're touching on this point because people look at that and they go that person's so perfect or that is so perfect or that looks so perfect why doesn't mine look like that right. why doesn't my experience look that way it's the same reason that we we have the the rising depression rates in our young people who are on instagram because they've all got these snapchat filters and instagram filters and if your life doesn't look as amazing as their life and doesn't look as airbrushed there's something wrong with you um and that's that's sad actually that that's that's the state of where things are but I, I agree with you hopefully this this brings us back to a more a more authentic to use your word a more raw way of advertising and really kind of showing the real life experiences of of places of destinations of events of situations yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's it's needed. Um, I think things have got a little bit and I like you say Instagram and social media is is not a, a positive thing in that way. I think there's a lot of positive things that can come out of it that it's been able to keep us connected. And I think if this um pandemic had happened fifteen years ago or twenty years ago, we'd be sitting there with a flip phone. Um <laughs> And, and trying to get the dial-up to work. And <laughs> trying to get the dial-up to work. And it would have been a lot more difficult. We wouldn't have had Zoom. So I think there's some positives. But I think, like you say, the, the fact that you know, the perfection side of everything's got to look perfect is is not a positive thing. And I, I, I think it's a tough time to be a teenager. Oh, yeah. For or sure. a young adolescent. Um, but things like the, the, social, you know, the social dilemma, um, actually watching that and being aware of it. And I'm a big fan of social media. Um, Me too. And, and think having a small business, it's one of the ways you can get your message out there very effectively. Um, but I think you, you've got to be very sensitive about the messaging at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I think you're right as well about um, it is a tough time to be a kid at the minute. You know, I was thinking only just the other day, I said to my wife, actually, I don't know why, why it suddenly hit me. Um, but I was saying to her, you know, imagine all the people who were supposed to have their prom at this time. Right. Like, Prom is quite often the last time that you ever see a lot of those people. Um, you all go off and do your own thing. You've spent X amount of years together through junior school, middle school, senior school, whatever. Like you've, you've seen each other for a, a many years at this point. And like they never even got the opportunity to say goodbye. Like that's it now. Finished. Done. You know, they're going to go on with their lives and do something else. And, you know, it, a large part of particularly high school but a large part of school is the social element of it as well isn't it it's learning to engage with other people it's learning the the socially acceptable you can behave like this and there are ramifications if you behave like this 
and actually taking an entire year off school, essentially, which is what we're kind of doing at the moment. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, I mean, I know people that have got school-aged children that their kids are more than happy to be at home the whole time and, you know, they love it. But there's the others that, the more sociable kids, that um, it's tough for them not to be able to spend that time interacting with their friends. And, you know, thankfully we do have the FaceTimes and the Zooms and everything else, but it's, you know, we all know that's not the same. No. Um, as much as we're thankful for it, it, it's not the same experience. And yeah, I think it's, 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 gonna, it's really tough for them at the moment. Well, the thing I miss the most at the moment is hugging. I, I didn't quite um, realize how much of a hugger I was true. until this happened. Yeah. Um, that, like yeah, I, I hug everybody. Much. I hug my clients. I hug my friends. I hug my staff. Like I, I, like I hug everyone. Um, and suddenly we're at a time where that's a complete taboo. Like you, you kind of shake hands. You've got to do some weird elbow bump thing. Um, and, and it's, I don't know. That's the, that's one of the things that's impacted me when I, when I sit and think about it, I think that's, that's really been a, that's been tough. It's that sharing of energy. It's giving somebody a big hug and saying, you did a great job. Thank you. Like that's, that's yeah. missing at the moment. And very much so. I know in, in our industry, it's like everybody hugs. It's just yeah. what we do. And it's going to be really difficult the first time. I know there's been a couple of events that have recently happened, but obviously everybody's trying to social distance. But when we all get together at a trade show again, and, and if we can't hug, it's going to be really tough. Yeah. It's so yeah. socially awkward right it's gonna be very i mean i i bumped into a, a a friend's husband the other day and he went to give me a hug and i was like no you can't do that we've got an elbow bump <laughs> yeah it's so bizarre <laughs> it, was, it was really strange i mean and i i'm usually out and about i mean i'm a salesperson i spend 50 percent of my time on the road and i miss seeing my clients i, I really bet you do. do so i i did like a virtual i set up a virtual sales week um, and I, I sent a message to all my clients and said, look, I, I miss seeing you. So we just, I sent them the calendar link. We set up little 30 minute zoom calls and we just sat and caught up over zoom. That's um, nice. it, it was really nice. And it's just cause I miss seeing them. I really do. Mm, I get that. It's the familiar stuff, isn't it? it it's like, I, I've done that a couple of times with, with our meetings where I've texted somebody five minutes before and I've been like, listen, go get yourself a coffee and some biscuits and we'll just have a chat for the first 15 minutes. Um, and I've been having a cup of tea. They've been having a cup of coffee and we've both been dunking our biscuits away. And like, it's nice. Cause that's what we'd have been doing if we were in person. Um, right. Yeah. I, I had a call with a client yesterday and it was supposed to be 30 minutes and an hour later we're still like, Oh, that went really quick. <laughs> oh, I love that. I really do. <laughs> Listen, great. I wanted to ask you actually, do, do you feel that the industry is going to experience sort of a surge, a bit of a boom once, once all of this has started to calm down a little bit more? I mean, I know certainly that that's what they're expecting in the real estate market. Um, definitely, um, starting on the leisure side, yes, because I think there's going to be a pent up demand for people wanting to travel that trips that they had planned for this year are going to get rescheduled again. Yeah. So that, I think that will start it. Um, on the meetings and events side, yes, it, it will come back, but I don't think it will be quite as quick, um, mm. because a lot of it is going to be based on company travel mandates. Um, so it's like, you know, the Apples and the Googles, the Facebooks, whoever it is, is going to be like, when are they going to let their employees travel? When they when are they going to feel safe about that? So in some cases, that might be until there's a vaccine in place. It depends on the company, depends on the country, depends on the size of the event. 
So we, we're anticipating that, you know, there'll be some smaller meetings taking place the first half of next year, but it's probably not going to be until third quarter, fourth quarter next year where we really see a lot of that coming back. Wow. So I, I so think we're still in this for a while then, bit of a long haul. I think so, yeah, because with some of the bigger meetings and events that until there's a vaccine in place, um, uh, people are anticipating that they don't see them happening. Mm. So for the bigger events, I mean, smaller meetings and stuff, yes, that, that absolutely, they're happening now and they will happen. But I think some of the corporations, until they know their employees have a vaccine in place, won't allow them to travel. It's so true. I mean, uh, the, thinking about it, actually, as you, as you say this, so a lot of the events that I bump into, a lot of these sort of really big guys, the, the Microsofts, Google, Sony, uh, Apple, these kind of guys, is typically a, a Mobile World Congress when we do the, right. the, te- the, the tech shows and that but they typically attract like 100 to 150 to 200,000 visitors over a three-day period yeah um you know they do them in barcelona in spain they Mm -hmm. do them in shanghai in china like ces Um, in vegas right yeah and it's like that's yeah they're not going to be very comfortable about letting them go to those places with so many people knocking around i mean these the people that get sent to speak at these events if nothing else and exhibit at these events they're very important people to the business like they they're they're not somebody that you could just let go and almost risk them so you're right i think there's going to be a real element of wrapping people in cotton wool a little bit as you say until maybe even until there is a vaccine Right. And you don't want some people going and getting it and then spreading it within the company. And also they don't want the bad reputation of having their name put on. Well, that was a, you know, a super spreader event. Yeah, absolutely. don't want that happening. But the interesting thing is on the virtual side, there's a company called um, Cvent, which is a software company that does a lot of like meeting um, sourcing and registration. They're probably one of the biggest. And they normally had about, I think, 4,000 people at their annual meeting. And they did it virtually this year and they had 40,000. Love it. See, I've heard quite a few stories like that. Um, there was one in Australia who um, they, they raise money for charity with this gala dinner thing that they do and um they they make like i think it's something ridiculous like 70 percent of their annual funding comes from this one gala um now obviously they're usually dependent on how many seats they can sell to this thing in the in the size of the auditorium that they're using and all that kind of stuff whereas this time they had like 10 times the number of people able to attend because all the people from outside of state and even different countries that wouldn't have come over for this one event were quite happy to buy a ticket so that they could engage with it virtually and then still get involved to make donations and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. they actually did really, really well out of it. So th- there is a way of flipping on it on its head, isn't there? There is a way of, of, uh, of being creative and, and going back to your initial point about collaborating, you know, if you can be creative and you can collaborate with the right people, we can still make things happen. But I, for one, I'm certainly looking forward to the time where we can travel again. I, I'm very much like you. I have Wanderlust. I love to travel. I love to experience new places and new people. And I kind of feel like I've been stuck here for an awful long time right now. (laughs) I do too. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've had three new clients sign up in the last couple of months. Um, 
a destination management company, one in Greece, one in Italy, and one in Spain. So there are still companies that are investing um, in the US market looking at the future potential at the moment. So um, it's just been nice. I was on a call with Italy this morning um, and it's just been nice just having that interaction and you mm. know, just getting some more knowledge about the destination and just having that tra- traveling virtually at the moment without actually being able to go. But, you know, it's it's great that there is still a, a light at the end of the tunnel and there are companies, like I say, that are still willing to invest. There certainly is. There certainly is. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. I've really appreciated it. I'm sure our listeners, both on Inspire Radio and indeed the Billionaires in Boxes podcast listeners, uh, I've taken a lot away from this. How can people get in touch with you and uh, and find more about your work? Um, either um, on LinkedIn, Cheryl Brazier, or the anchor-collection.com website. Perfect. I will put both of those links in the description below. Um, thank you so much. Look, I, you are one of the many people that I am looking forward to meeting face-to-face once all of this is uh, is over and done with. I might just turn into a bit of a social butterfly and just go traveling around the world to go meet everybody. Um, <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed thank you for your time i've enjoyed it phil it's been a fun conversation and and thanks for reaching out no a real pleasure it's been really great to have you here you know i i love the work that you're doing and i think it's a really fascinating discussion anybody for either people in the industry or indeed from people outside the industry kind of looking at this because it's one of those industries isn't it that i think we all kind of looked at and went "Ooh, this is going to be painful uh, and actually to hear that there are there are still things that are being done both creatively and, and with collaborations and the right kind of partnerships in place i think that's really inspirational to, to lots of people and, and hopefully has even encouraged more people listening to actually start creating some more of these events themselves um, knowing that there are other options out there yeah and you know start start planning your travel now it will come back so start think get your bucket list together <laughs> renew that passport and we will be allowed exactly. to travel again yeah we will be able to travel again Absolutely. actually on that note just before we go that's one of the main things i'm panicking about slightly at the moment is uh my wife is from south africa and her passport expires at the end of february so if we can't go back to renew it there which literally takes like a week or two um, she has to do it with her em- the embassy in London, but they're currently taking nine months because of the backlog. Oh. So, so it's like, so if we don't get back before February, I'm, I'm scared I'm going to get stuck here for another nine months, whether we're allowed to travel or not. Oh, I did <laughs> I said- mine. Mine expired actually last month. So I sent mine off as soon as we went into lockdown and I realized I wasn't going anywhere because I might have yeah. to go back to UK to be renewed. I'm like, I'm going to send it now. Well, I'm not going anywhere because often there isn't a period of time where I can send it off. I don't need it. Um, so, so I true. now have a an English, a British passport that's totally empty. I have a virgin passport and it makes Wait. me nervous. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. But although you do, you do have a sense of responsibility that the very first place to get stamped in there has to be really cool because it kind of sets the tone for the rest of it, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I'll have to make sure it's somewhere fun. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it today. Um, I've certainly taken a lot away from this. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um, If anybody does wish to get in touch, obviously the contact details are in the description and the write-up notes below. If you're on the radio station, head over to billionairesinboxes.com. Check out this episode and all the notes will be there for you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've taken a lot from it. Uh, Take care of yourselves uh, and until next time. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.